Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is September the 16th, and our chapter reading for today is the book of Acts, chapter 26. What a tremendous chapter this is in the great story of God as he wrote in Paul's life. This is a defense that is par excellence. It is one of the best summaries of the truth of the gospel found anywhere in the Word of God. Let's get right to it. You know the last podcast we had, we left Paul about to give his defense, his apologia, his explanation of what he was doing when he was arrested, what his position was. And King Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. By the way, anyone who knows anyone that's Jewish and anyone that's listening to me that is Jewish, is this not just like every Jew that you've ever known? It's true that many cultures speak with their hands and with their whole body, but preaching and teaching for a Jewish person is an expression of the entire body. It's the eyes, it's the hands, it's the facial features, it's walking, it is setting, it is the way you hold your feet, the way you hold your hands, it is the totality of your being. Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, blessed, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all things of which I am accused by the Jews. Verse 3 especially because you are an expert in all the customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. This was Paul's one opportunity, and he knew it. Everyone was listening with rapt attention. He said, my manner of life from my youth as a young boy, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. You see, Paul was a well-known person, not as Paul, even though that was his Roman name, but as Saul, the Saul from Tarsus, who studied at the feet of Gamaliel. What does that mean? That means he was the up and coming. He was the rising star in Judaism. He was going to be the great apologist for Judaism that would take the place of Gamaliel, not in the sense of superseding him, but carrying on the teachings of the great faith of Judaism. And so everyone knew who he was. His father, that is Paul's father, Saul of Tarsus' father, had sent him to Jerusalem. First of all, he had family there. He had wealth there. We know his sister was there. We know that his nephew was there. They were tied in to the Sanhedrin, to the council. He said, these people have known me from the first, if they are willing to give witness of that, to testify of that, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul said, Agrippa, 
everyone knows you know who I am. You know what I've stood for. Ask any of the men of the council, and they will tell you. They all know who I am. They're acting like this is something strange. He said, and now I stand and am judged for the hope. Now, the word hope in the Bible, elpis and elpida, all of these elpis words are the words for expectation. You see, hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. Hope in the New Testament, this elpis elpida, these are words that I translate them as excited expectation, eager anticipation that God will do everything that God has promised he will do. That's what hope is. The Bible says we are saved in hope. Paul said we are saved in hope. Does that mean we're saved hoping we're going to get there? No, 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 no. Low, 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 low. No, it means that you and I are saved. We are rescued. We are redeemed in eager anticipation, excited expectation that what God said he was going to do, he will do. And so he says, I am now standing and being judged before you and others because of the expectation that the promises made by God to our fathers are going to come true. To this promise, that is, to what God said he was going to do, to our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day, this is what all the 12 tribes eagerly expect to attain. They are excited about keeping God's word and looking to the reality that God will keep his word. He says these 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day, This is what I'm preaching that they hope to attain. For this hope's sake, for this expectation, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you, King Agrippa, that God raises the dead? Now, what Paul was doing, he knew that if Agrippa said, I don't believe that, he was going to be in trouble with the Jews. Because the prophecies are that the Messiah would suffer, he would die, he would rise again. Now, they didn't know how all of this would happen, but the prophet Isaiah talked about a suffering servant who would die, Isaiah 53. That's not the nation of Israel. This is of a person, of a personality, not of a nation, not of a group, but of a person. But yet the Bible speaks of Messiah living forever and reigning forever, one who could not be held by the bonds of death. So they couldn't figure it all out. So Paul is trying to help them to understand this is for this hope that was born in the prophetic word that this is what he was believing. And they said, King Agrippa, you shouldn't be amazed by this. You see, if King Agrippa said, I don't believe what the prophet said, he was in trouble with the rest of the people that he claimed to have affinity with. But if he said, I do believe what the prophets say, I do believe in the resurrection, then he was affirming what Paul said. So so he was in a conundrum. At best, he was between a rock and a hard place. Paul said, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many, many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. You see, these chief priests were corrupt to the core, to the core. 
And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Paul said, I am a murderer. I murdered people. I killed people. I did it out of zeal, yes. But zeal, religious zeal, does not justify murder. Religious zeal does not justify error. We don't think it's strange that someone who is called an Islamic radical, we don't think it's strange if someone says they're maniacal, they're crazy, they're insane. We don't justify their blowing up the towers in New York City on September the 11th, 2001 by saying, well, you know, they're just zealous. They're just zealots. They're just really believers in what they believe. No, what they believe is error. It is insanity. It's heresy. It's vile. It's corrupt. You say, well, you'll get killed by saying that. Why? Because they are crazy. They are corrupt. They are vile. They are wrong. Paul said that what he did, he did out of religious zeal. But he's also saying what I did was wrong. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogue. In the Beit Knesset, I would go in and I compelled them to slander God. Not the God that he was serving with his tradition, but he was saying, you must recant. You cannot believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you must slander him. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And he said, while I was doing this, in other words, while I was thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven. It was brighter than the Syrian sun shining around me. And those who journeyed with me, they were experiencing everything I was. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language. Now, Paul was at least quadlingual. He spoke Greek, obviously. That was the lingua franca of the day. That was the trade language of the day. That was the common language of the day. He spoke Aramaic. That was what he was no doubt brought up speaking as a Jew. He spoke certainly Latin because he was a Roman. He was a Roman citizen. He would have known the language of Rome, but he learned the scriptures in Hebrew. And when he spoke religiously about God, he would speak certainly in the synagogues and in the temple in Hebrew. So Jesus spoke to him in his native tongue and in the native tongue of Jesus. The Bible wasn't written in Aramaic. It was written in Hebrew. So the language of heaven is Hebrew. This is the language that he spoke to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you hounding me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you chasing me? Is it hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the goads? You see, when oxen were plowing, they would have a wooden plow behind them. Oh, it might have a, a metal tip to it, an iron tip of some kind or another, but it was made of wood. And the oxen, if they kicked that hard enough, they could break that wood, even seasoned wood. If they kicked at it and kicked at it. And so what they would do is sharpen sticks and place those within peg holes where when the oxen kicked, it would hit these sharpened objects and it would penetrate the oxen's tendons and skin and legs and it would hurt them. And the harder they kicked, the deeper it would go. The harder they kicked, the deeper the wound. 
And this is what Jesus said to Saul. He likened it conviction. He likened conviction. And this is what Jesus said to Saul. He likened conviction of the Holy Spirit to Saul fighting against what he knew was true, what God was speaking to his heart about, what he had been convicted of when he heard Stephen praying for him and calling their names out and saying, God, forgive them. They are doing what they're doing. Please forgive them. And so Jesus said, it's hard for you. The harder you kick, the deeper these wounds are going to go. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're hounding, you're chasing, you're persecuting, you're prosecuting. Now, as far as we know, not once had Saul of Tarsus laid a hand on Jesus. But here, Jesus is so identifying with his people, all Jews, all Jews, that he said, you are touching the apple of my eye. You're touching my bride. You're touching the church. And when you're doing it unto them, you're doing it unto me. He said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet for I've appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a servant, a minister, and a martyr, a martyreo, a witness of the things which you have seen and the things which I will reveal unto you. In other words, Paul, this is just the beginning. He said, I will deliver you from the people, that is the Jewish people. The people are always the Jewish people. Why? Because the Bible's a Jewish book. It's written by Jews to Jews, primarily for Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. What he says was, I will deliver you from the people as well as the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Why am I sending you to the Gentiles? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power, the authority of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are set apart, who are sanctified by faith in me. Folks, this is the mission of the church. This is the mission of the church in ages past. It's the mission of the church in ages future. What is that mission? To go and and make English American Christians, Western Christians, Middle Eastern Christians? No. It has always been the same. To through the word of God and the teaching of the gospel of the Son of God, to open their eyes. Why? Because they are blinded to turn them from darkness, the darkness of sin and bondage to light and from the authority, the authority of Satan to God, where God can rule in their life. Why all of this? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And God doesn't just want to forgive our sins. He wants to give us an inheritance with all of those who are set apart by faith in me. Then he says, therefore, anytime you see a wherefore or therefore in the scripture, stop and ask yourself the question, what is that wherefore, therefore, therefore? He was drawing a conclusion. Now he's speaking right to the king himself. And he said, therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. When Jesus appeared to me, I knew it was him. And what he told me to do, I could not do anything but what he called me to do. 
but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works that are worthy that show repentance. Now look what he says. What I did to the Jew and the Gentile is to say, change your mind. The word repent is metanoeo, to repent, to change your mind, change your thought. And your thought patterns will turn into attitudes. Your attitudes will turn into actions. Your actions, if you repeat them over and over again, will turn into habits. Habits turn into character, character into destiny. All I'm saying is, King, that it all starts with a turning, a changing of the mind. And a turning to God, the word is the word strepho, which strepho means to convert. It means to change direction. It means to make an about face and begin to take a different track. In other words, change your mind, take a different track, and show by your life and by your works that indeed there has been a change of mind. And for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both the small and the great, saying no other than these things which the prophets and Moses said would come. He said, I am doing exactly what Moses and all the prophets in the Torah, in the Nebim, in the Ketuvim, in the Law of the Prophets and the Writings, all of what we call the Old Testament, this is what it was all about, the coming of Messiah, that Messiah would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim, would preach light to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made this defense, Festus, with a loud voice, said, Paul, you're beside yourself. The word is maniac, maniacal. You have gone off your rocker. You are now in a state of mania. And so he said, this knowledge that you have is driving you into a maniacal state. And Paul said, I am not Maniacal, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I'm speaking in moderation. I'm just speaking the truth. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention. Oh, man, was he pouring it on. Since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And so Paul put him on the spot. He said, now you do believe the prophets, don't you? I know you do. And so if he said yes, he was in trouble. If he said no, he was in trouble. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a, become a Christian. You know what he was saying is, hey, you're not giving a defense. You're trying to convert me. You're trying to persuade me. You say, well, how do you know that this is what he meant? Because Paul's answer, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these changes. In other words, when people say, well, you almost persuade me to be a Christian, what he said was, you're trying to make me a Christian. You're trying to reason me into being a Christian. You're trying to persuade me to be a Christian. Not that you're almost doing it. You're trying to do this. This is your goal. And Paul said, you're exactly right. And not just you, but everybody that hears me, I wish they were in the same position I am. And when he had said these things, the king stood up. They said, oh, this is it. Man, they were under conviction, as well as the governor and Bernice. 
The word Berenike means one who brings the victory. That was a Greek name. So this was a Hellenist Jew. And the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them, and when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with what this guy's saying. He's doing nothing. He's doing nothing wrong that's worthy of death and change. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Well, you know why he appealed? Because he was being set up to be sent up to be murdered. Go back and read this chapter again and read this powerful defense and understand that we are not sent out by the Lord Jesus to try to make someone like us, but to make people like him. We are not going out trying to enlighten them to become like we are with our culture and the way we speak and the way that we think, but to bring them to the culture of the Bible and to the worldview and the lens from which God made everything and laid out all of the principles of life itself. And the goal is to not make them like us and disciple them to be like we are, but to disciple them and train them to be as Jesus. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.